He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We'll start this time with Rigby. Things are good. Just waiting for the Oscars next month. I think the last time we had spoken, the nominations hadn't been announced yet. And so, yeah, the next month I'll be trying to watch as many as the Best Picture nominees as I can. I've kind of taken a, a beating the last couple of years without watching them. And, you know, the fact that I just watched Parasite, the winner from two years ago, about two weeks ago. <laughs> I'll try to be ahead of it this time. James. Nothing, dude. Just powering through grad school and trying not to feel like shit. I'm struggling more with the latter. So this is my flu game. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> hey, you're here. No time off. No time off for you. That's right. You're out of sick days. That's really what this is. You're out of months and sick days. So Yeah, you know, we have a pretty shitty HR. So Terrible benefits, too. Next fiscal year, we'll, we'll replenish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got I to gotta roll over the podcast. $27 per person. Case, what's going on, man? Not much. I think I'm excited to talk a little Lena tonight. We'll, we'll see where it goes by the time we're done, though. So usually Case is the one that has really great stories. I have a hilarious story for you guys. James knows this because I shared it in a different text group. But I was doing a presentation at Virginia Tech on last Sunday. And I'm in the middle of the presentation, and one of the members has an emotional support dog. And it's like a large golden doodle, and it's super friendly, and it's walking around, minimal distractions. So I'm cool with it. I let it walk around, do its thing. It tries to, like, go up behind the stage at what point. So it's kind of funny. We get about two-thirds of the way in. I look, and this is like a... A car, watching a car crash happen in real time. This dog goes to the front on the stage, turns towards the crowd, arches its back, leans down, and takes a huge shit on the stage. Nice. <laughs> in front of everyone. And I sat there, I saw it coming, I went, oh no. And all of us, like, it took so long that people already had their phones out and have photos of the dog shitting on, on the stage. So, I think it's a metaphor for my presentation style. Personally, I think the dog was commenting on it. Did everybody start clapping? <laughs> Everyone just laughed hysterically and will never forget that presentation forever. Can that dog leave podcast reviews? <laughs> <laughs> How many dog poops for this movie? Two charts. <laughs> Did you get the dog's name? That might be my new social media. Posey is the dog's name. Like yeah. Parker. But Posey. I'm going to troll our own podcast. <laughs> And talk shit to you guys the whole time as Posey. Posey the golden doodle. I'll send you the photo so you can make it your avatar too. The dog just shitting on the stage. <laughs> but what I am excited about, hopefully he doesn't take a shit on our stage, but I don't think he's capable of such things. We're excited to welcome back Tony Gebhardt of, of Flix X-Ray to the podcast. He is the host of Flix X-Ray, a weekly podcast featuring a roster of people who join Tony to discuss and review all types of films. Put down a t They put out a ton of content. It's like a book club for, for movies. When he's not watching movies, he spends a lot of time playing D&D &D and has a monthly Pokemon D&D stream on Twitch and runs a 24-hour long zombie survival D&D &D session every November to raise money for children's hospitals. So he's got a heart of gold, people, if you're listening. That's Tony. Tony also works as a programmer for the Okotoks Film Festival. 
and volunteers with a number of Calgary area film and festivals and podcasting events. So he is our he is our Canadian guest for the podcast. Um, you can find Flix X-Raid on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. He previously joined us for the Seth Green episode, and he's making his return. Welcome back, Tony. How are you, and how's the Flix X-Raid world? Uh, it's going well. We just uh, we just wrote, finished recording our wrap-up of last year's scavenger hunt, because one of uh, the things that we do every year is a scavenger hunt where we have a bunch of random movie categories, and we have to find movies that fit them. They can be things with, like, movie that has a primarily purple poster or directed by a uh, a female director kind of thing. All those kind of stuff. So we just wrapped that up and launched our new, into our 2022 scavenger hunt. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. And that should be dropping shortly. And, uh, yeah, we're having a, a blast over here. How do we get into the scavenger hunt? I want the months of the movies to be a part of it, not, not participate in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the category? Right, that fits that. Five really ugly dudes who run a podcast. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking nailed it. They don't narrow it down. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, Tony, glad to have you back, man. Excited for the journey, and let's uh, let's dig into this episode, man. Hell yeah! All right, birthdays for February twenty fourth. Rigby, take us there. What do we got? First up, we got O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, son of Ice Cube, straight out of Compton, long shot, and yeah, just a just a funny guy and, and a good actor, uh, following in his dad's footsteps really well. He's also re- really funny in um, that movie Ingrid Goes West with Aubrey. Plaza. Ingrid Goes West. Yeah, he's funny yeah. in that too. Yeah, I was very shocked by how talented he was as an actor. Yeah, I did not expect it when I saw Straight Outta Compton, and then since then. That's a great movie if you haven't seen it, by the way. Yeah. I'm going to go with O'Shea is, give me 27. My guess is 30. I'm going to go 32. Oh, I was about to say 31. Damn it. (laughs) You can. You can split it. If you want that window, have a good time. Yeah, screw it. I'll stick with 31. You chose a good window. He's turning 31. Nice job. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next up, we have Daniel Kaluuya. Get Out, Black Panther, Judas and the Black Messiah, Rising Star in Hollywood. How old's he turning? Recent Oscar winner. Won his Oscar last year. Yep, that's right. I'm excited to see him in Nope. Trailer looked good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that trailer looked dope. Yeah, very creepy. <laughs> I think he is 32. Yeah. 28. I'm thinking 33. Turn in 33. Gave me that window, you son of a bitch. I'll go a little higher. I'll go 35. Tony wins again. 33. Oh, come on. Born the same year as me. Sorry, guys. I knew that. If you get this right on the dot again, Tony, I will have to accuse you of cheating. It will just have to be a thing. You get two. The third one is when it gets fishy. (laughs) Yeah, the third one gets a little suspicious. I will say at 33, Daniel Kalu has put together already a hell of a career. So Mm -hmm. he'd he'd be really fun to cover one day. Last but not least, Mr. Billy Zane. Uh-huh. His most famous role is most likely Titanic, but we all know him from his cameo in Zoolander, obviously. <laughs> At least James does. Zip it, Zane. <laughs> Billy Zane is 55. 60. I'll split the middle. I'll go 57. Uh, that was the number I was going to say, so I'm going to have to be a dick now and say 58. Oh, you <laughs> I love it. He came to play. All right, he's turning 56. James? So James wins there. Okay. (laughs) Almost stole it from me. I did. I tried. Yeah. No hands. I thought Tony was going to say 56 again. I was about to be like, no way. This is crazy. (laughs) Love it. Happy birthday to everyone else who turns whatever age on February 24th. 
Five actors that we threw onto the wheel, they were, for this episode 56, we had Rooney Mara, Rigby's favorite, we had Christina Ricci, we had Heath Ledger, rest in peace, Ava Mendez, this is a great wheel, mm-hmm. top to bottom, this is just a solid wheel. Yeah, it was fun. A lot of wheels you get, like one name, you're like, eh, and I don't think there was a loss with any of these people, but it didn't matter, because the wheel selected Lena Headey, uh, and Tony decided to join us for Lena, so we're going to dig into it. She's got 92 credits on her resume, 23 TV roles, 13 of those are recurring. She's done nine shorts over the years, seven TV movies, and has also voiced characters in four video games. So she's done quite a bit in entertainment. Before we get into the career, though, we usually start with James to talk about a little bit of actor trivia. Take it away. So, Tony, I don't know if you remember this, but we do two truths and a lie. I'm going to read off three facts here. Two of them are going to be true about Lena Headey, and one of them is going to be about one of the many cast members of the ever-expanding Fast and Furious franchise. You have to guess which one is not true about Lena. Or which actor from the franchise. You don't have to do that. It is more fun. You get bonus points in the Munson score when we inevitably rate you if you get it correct. So yes, you can guess that as well. You're hot tonight, so you might as well keep it, <laughs> yeah. keep it going. Based on how you're doing, I think you'll be all right. So fact number one, her great-grandfather was Harry M. Warner, one of the founders of Warner Brothers Studios. Fact number two, has been featured on United Kingdom Royal Postage, something that usually features only living members of the monarch or members of the royal family. Fact number three, As a child, she mistakenly killed one of her pets by putting them in a jacuzzi. I know the corresponding Fast and Furious character for all of those. (laughs) Which one's a lie? They're all lies. No, they're all lies. There's no truth. We all know Charlize Theron killed her pet, so that one's easy. (laughs) That one's one's gone away. (laughs) Despite being a fairly outspoken person, her personal life is very private. And so finding things about her that weren't like tied to relationships she's had was pretty difficult. I'm going to hit the low-hanging fruit, and I'm going to say the postage one is the lie, and that's Helen Mirren. Good guess. That's a really good guess. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that postage one is true because of Game of Thrones. Wouldn't be surprised. Wait, she was in Game of Thrones? Yeah. <laughs> you ever heard of it? As a D&D nerd, I've, I actually haven't watched the show because, I, well, I watched the first season and I hated it, so that's beside the point. That is blasphemous. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's the related to the Warner Brothers one. That'd be weird for her being, because she's from the UK, but she's from Bermuda. So mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, I'm pretty sure, has been an American company for a long time. Who do you think is the Warner Brothers connection? Take a stab. <sighs> Vin Diesel. I'll just go with the basic. <laughs> uh, yeah. that would be good. Go with the OG. Yeah, he chose his stage name, Vin Diesel, because he tried to distance himself from the Warner family. He got away from family, so he got out of it. <laughs> He's only making the 10th film of a franchise. He doesn't care about money right. at all. I think the Warner one is also the lie, and I'm going to go Jordana Brewster for that one. Secunda, I don't think, is British in any way, so number two wouldn't apply. But I, I could see Secunda accidentally killing one of her pets, so I'm going to go with that. I think that's number three is the lie. That is an awful thing to say about somebody. <laughs> I Listen, process of elimination here. I don't want her to be a, a killer yeah. of, but Secunda would. I think she's the I one. said mistakenly killed a pet. I can confirm that it was not Secunda Wood who killed their pet by accident, and it was Lena Headey. As a child, she owned a couple hamsters and a couple goldfish, the latter of which she once decided, desi- uh, <laughs> decided needed a bubble bath in her jacuzzi. Boiled it, OG. Oh <laughs> yeah. 
Obviously, she boiled the goldfish alive, and I found it ironic because as an adult, she's very proudly vegan and has actually been a spokesperson for PETA, ironically enough. But yes, she's very honest about that mistake as a child. Fact number two has been featured on uh, United Kingdom Royal Postage, something usually features only living members of the monarch or royal family, is true. That was actually a rule that they had in place up until... 2005 when the royal family i guess realized that some of the rules that they have are completely asinine and in 2018 because of the uh, success of game of thrones uh she was on uh postage but as cersei lannister which i think is pretty badass because cersei was the queen you're on the queen's postage i enjoyed that fact a lot and uh fact number one her great-grandfather was harry m warner of the uh warner brothers fame that's not true. That's actually a Cole Hauser fact. He's famously known for starring in Goodwill Hunting, Dazed and Confused, and as Carter Verone in Too Fast, Too Furious. That's right. I found that so shocking because he always plays like kind of like a dirtbag in all the movies he's in. He's like the sketchy looking mm-hmm. dude, and he couldn't be from a more wealthy family. No uh, shit. <laughs> he doesn't mean not sketchy. That's true, but he, he comes across kind of like a gangster and everything. He was in the cave with Lena. Yeah, he was. That's right. We're watching him in one of our uh, prep movies for this. Interesting. That's not a name we've heard yet on the podcast. Good call, James. Oh, man, I'm digging deep for these facts at this point. Okay, snapshot in box office history. Case, what do we got? As I was going through her film roster, uh, I said this phrase a lot of times. I've never heard of that movie. (laughs) I've never heard of that movie. I've never heard of that movie. (laughs) I've never heard of that movie. That was some foreshadowing because... She's not been a lot of projects that have done extremely well in the box office. On her resume for box office data, I have 28 movies. <laughs> 17 of them lost money. Hey, not ideal. And when I say they lost money, the least amount of money that one lost was 1.6 million. Oh boy. Otherwise, she has 11 movies have lost more than 10 million dollars that she's been a part of. Not a massive box office draw. I will say, though, that we have our second non-comedy that is in our top five, you know, in terms of return on investment. And that's The Purge. The Purge pulled in $89 world gross off of a $3 million budget. It is difficult for movies outside of comedies to have that kind of return on investment. That's a really impressive number for her. Other than that, you know, I, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody. Her biggest box office success was 300. And her second biggest box office success was 300, Rise of Empire. <laughs> so that franchise has been very, very good to her. In terms of her individual ranking, this is out of 56 at time of recording. She's 48th in average film budget, which didn't surprise. In fact, that was actually higher than I thought it was going to be. I thought she was going to be in the 50s. She's 43rd in total money earned from her films. She's 16th in her star ranking, star meter ranking Whoa. at 496. I thought it was high. She must have something coming or has a project that's been popular. Her critic ranking is 47th. Her fan ranking is 51st. Her average film performance is 45th. Her top film performance is 4th, which was The Purge. And when you add all of those up together and average them out, it puts her at 46th. So 46 out of 56. Yep. Lower tier. 
That's what I hear. Just not a massive box office draw. Always a good place for us to start. We'll see how the Munson meter lines up with that 46 out of 56 when it's all said and done. Thanks, Case. You betcha. All right, let's get into the career. So first major role is going to be in 94. So we'll talk about everything leading up to that day or up to that year. As Tony mentioned earlier, she was born in Bermuda. I believe her father, who was a police officer, was on assignment there. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's correct. She did a bunch of ballet as a child. It was kind of her first entry into the arts. And she was first noticed on in the acting world at the age of 17 in a production at the Royal National Theater. When you say that she did ballet early, that makes some sense because a couple of the roles I watched, she's doing some, some pretty elegant fight scenes, getting nerdy about those things. I mean, it looks like she has very good footwork, well, you know, really good balance, and it's convincing her ability to, uh, you know, to fight in those situations. We'll talk about it, but she's definitely built a career on being a, a good villain, mm-hmm. right? And engaging in some physical combat. I, ju- I just watched Gunpowder, rewatched Gunpowder Milkshake today, and she's got some a lot of action scenes in that, too. I think it's a good point. So she got into acting around the age of 17, got noticed, and that led to her first role ever, which was in Waterland as young Mary in 92, um, a role alongside Jeremy Irons. All the reviews seem to indicate it was a pretty solid film and that she's quality in it. Was this the movie with Kevin Costner where they drink their own urine? <laughs> yep, that's no, correct. Water World. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was the sequel. My bad. <laughs> no, this is the prequel. Prequel, there you go. You gotta have water land before it becomes water world. It starts on one continent. That reminds me of the Ali G skit when he's like, did you think that Richard Nixon deserved to go to jail after what he did in Waterworld, not Watergate? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I did read decent reviews of it. It's got a 6.6 on IMDb. So I wish it's something I could have checked out, but that's where she gets her start working alongside a, a heavyweight in Jeremy Irons. For sure, mm-hmm. um, earlier in her career. After that, did a, did a bunch of TV. You know, not untypical. Brit- a lot of British television. So she was in two episodes of Spender in 93. A couple episodes of How We Used to Live. She did three episodes of Social S- Soldier Soldier in 93. And then her next big movie was alongside Emma Thompson in The Remains of the Day. as a character named Lizzie. Century played Miriam in 93 and then a couple TV movies. So busy over that first couple of years between 92 and that's really two years and that's about seven or eight projects. So she's when she starts to get into the world, she's getting a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But her first major role was in 94 in Rutyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. This is my review this time. When I saw that the this was my review and that's how the rotation was going, I was pumped because I don't know about you guys. I watched this movie a ton when I was a kid. And I hadn't seen it in 15 years. All right. It's been a long time. So I was excited to look at it in my adult 33-year-old lens to see if it's stood up, stood the test of time over the years. So I'll dig into it, and then I'll toss it out to you guys a little bit. So I love this as a kid. I used to beat the beat this game constantly on Sega. I used to play the Jungle Book and like beat it in like 45 minutes. So I've always been a big fan of the Jungle Book story with Baloo the Bear, Ka... I've always, I've always liked the Jungle Book story. It's directed by Stephen Summers, who did movies like Odd Thomas, G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra, Van Helsing, and he did the Mummy movies, Mummy Returns. Thank God. I was like, if you didn't bring up the Mummy, I was going to be upset. Like... <laughs> His best ones, right? Exactly. I was just going chronologically, or I guess backwards in this case. Uh, but he also did Deep Rising and Huck- The Adventures of Huck- Huckleberry Finn. So he's done some really good, I think some pretty good movies over the years. and. 
I would put this into the same category. I think it's stood up. What's interesting about this film, right? It didn't, the animals don't speak in it. So you're working with trained animals. They, they worked with over 200 trained animals on the set, including 50 tigers and 14 wolves. So kind of a dangerous set to be on, but they did a lot of the, the takes with the tigers and Shere Khan and those just like in, in a studio without anybody who didn't need to be there on set to, to limit any um, risk issues. Um, it was originally an independent film, is what I learned, until Disney got involved and bumped it up from $12 million to $30 million. Gave them the $18 million bump for, for their production value, so that's always nice. If you haven't seen it in years, it's got a pretty cool cast. Sam Neill plays the father of the story, Carrie Ulls, but he plays the bad guy, and he's great. He's the one character I always remembered over the years. I think he's a good baddie in this film. John Cleese is in this, and it's actually Jason Fleming's first role ever, which is it was kind of fun. He plays kind of the sidekick to Carrie in the movie. The rest of the stuff I found really interesting was, you know, they talked about, like, working with the animals, which ones they liked, which ones they didn't. They loved working with the orangutan that played King Louie. He, like, peed on the screen and swatted it all over the place. So similar to the dog who shit on the, the stage for me last weekend. <laughs> That's why you like the dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what it reminded me of is that this movie, at, at its core, it's a love story between Mowgli and Kitty, who is played by Lena Headey. If you don't know the story, they were friends as kids. She gives him her bracelet from her mom. Basically, he ends up disappearing into the jungle. They think he's gone forever. He pops back into the, the scene many years later once they're adults. And Lena, she's 20 at the time of filming, so she's pretty young. Her character is really the only female character that actually matters in this story. This would not pass the Bechdel test. Not in the slightest bit. This movie, it's mostly male characters. But I will say this about her character. Her character and the way she plays it is brave She's sassy, she's very curious, and she's the empathetic core of the story. It was it was actually kind of fun to watch her in this role because it's very different than seeing a lot of like the villain stuff she's done over the years. And I will say this, this is something I started to pick up on her and I noticed as a theme. One thing I think her character does really well in this movie is she uses nonverbals incredibly well to, to speak emotions because her character a lot of times is it isn't actually verbalizing, but it's just seeing fear, it's seeing curiosity in her face. And if you watch a lot of her roles over the years, I think she does that better than a lot of actors that we've covered. So I was a big fan of that. He like kills the guy over a waterfall and there's this joke about life going on that had me dying too. So I thought it was funny. I looked at like my st- I think it's the highest rated movie of any of the movies I've watched with Lena Headey for the whole episode. So I was happy to report that Jungle Book still is pretty decent all these years later. And Lena's pretty good at it. I never watched this movie when I was a child. So I assumed that the Jungle Book that came out recently was the same story. So when you explained the plot just there, I was like, never saw that coming. No, very different. Yeah, they've had different iter- iterations. I loved this one growing up, and I actually uh, rewatched it in preparation for this because I wanted to see how much it held up. And it it is actually surprisingly still charming. Uh, and the joke that they make about life going on, the fact that Sam Neill's in this movie and they make that joke is what makes that joke. <laughs> it's it's low key funny, man. It's got some it's got some really hilarious moments, and you know, I think about how hard it is to get live animals to just function on sets, like just simple dog movies. And the fact they were able to wrangle tigers, orangutans, panthers, 
to like do what they needed to bears. bears right blue so i'm glad i'm not the only one who thought it actually stood the test of time and i do remember carrie i can never say his name either kyle carrie carrie yules. Yules. yules yeah like yule log he was good in this and this was this was sam i think this might have been the first movie that sam neil did after jurassic park too so that like his star meter was huge um, john cleese was obviously a huge star when this was made so yeah good for lena for taking on this role and and surrounding herself with some some pretty powerful actors in her first major role so that's jungle book first major role in 1994 we've got seven years between our next review potentially maybe we'll get into a review at that point we'll see <laughs> i want to hear an interesting fact that was almost a trivia fact yeah. She started dating her co-star, Jason Fleming, and they dated for nine years, and she actually got his name tattooed on her in Thai, and then they broke up, and she got the tattoo covered. And as a tattoo haver, I very much appreciate someone who's willing to do something like that. I'll, I'll mention this later, too, but she is by far, she has by far the most tattoos of anybody we've ever covered. Like, most yeah. actors, I feel like, are pretty clean Ooh. when it comes to that. She's covered in them. They mentioned it was an issue in, in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Puts the makeup people to the test on every yep. set. As someone who is covered in tattoos, I appreciate when I realize someone's covered in tattoos, but they show up in film and you can't tell. Like Angelina Jolie. So do I. Yep. I wonder if she's lost on her roles because they didn't want to have to put her through the makeup ringer. <laughs> no, I doubt it. It's just, they just like wear a t-shirt or something. You know, it's like... It's, you can cover it. I hope not. It's pure conjecture on that part. If yeah. Tom Hardy can do Bronson, where they cover up all his tattoos so he can be 100% new, <laughs> they will do it. I was trying to like go through them to see if any of them were like super you know, like funny. Because like, we covered, who was it? Sam Rockwell has the cock tattoo on his arm. Mm-hmm. And Hemsworth has the Dr. Seuss tattoo. I was like, all right, maybe she's got something. But no, they're just all like really pretty designs and i was like wow oh, well none of those are funny <laughs> women are less likely to get those dumb tattoos i yes you are correct <laughs> nailed it <laughs> so 95 she's in a movie called gentlemen don't eat poets or the grotesque same ti- same title same movie depending on where you find it or if you're looking on imdb or rotten tomatoes where it's a movie that's pretty much led by sting and she plays a skeptic of the butler that is sting who is essentially like sleeping with the the maiden of the house and causing all sorts of problems and she's pretty solid in that movie too i don't know if anybody else saw it but in uh, in the words of robert downey jr from tropic thunder she shows some emotionality <laughs> kyle do you know how much money that movie made in the box office no probably not much because it has two titles i'm actually pretty sure she got that role because of her connection with jason fleming because jason fleming worked with sting's wife Ooh, interesting oh for lock stock and two smoking barrels which is why she probably was put forward because a lot of the stuff that Sting does in that kind of regard, he works on word of mouth. They don't actually hold audition. That's that sounds that's pretty badass. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. That's why we bring on Tony. And that's how we do our guests. We don't do auditions for guests. It's all word of mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so we're similar Look at to Sting. Us, us and Sting. Yeah, we're pretty much the same. There you go. The movie made. $4,600. <laughs> they had to change the title to maybe rebrand it. That's Festival Circuit. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a 2009 used Honda Civic. <laughs> I think Gentlemen Don't Eat Poets is a really unique name. So I don't know. The grotesque is kind of boring, but that's just me. 96, she does six episodes of Band of Gold as Colette. 97, she plays her first 
I don't know if it's her first, but one of a couple char- lesbian characters as young Sally and Mrs. Dalloway. So another a little period piece that's available on Tubi if you want to check it out. Same year is in Face alongside Ray Winstone and Rob Carlyle, kind of a heist movie. A lot of British actors in there. These I didn't get a chance to finish it, but she's she's not a main role in that. It's really more of a male-driven heist film. She's in the Merlin miniseries in 98 as Guinevere, um, alongside a lot of other big names. I wonder if this may have had something to do with her eventually being cast in Game of Thrones, because it's a, a similar Probably. topic. That show was awesome, by the way. Willennium hits in 2000. And she does gossip with James Marsden, our boy. Did they date and break up? In the movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens to most of his character. Yeah. <laughs> Was he a shitty boyfriend again? He is a sleazeball in that movie. Yep, there you go. It's a decent flick. It's all about like the danger of gossip and what it could do. And so it's like Charlie Conway's in there. I, I know he has a real name, but I'm just going to call him Charlie Conway. I just remember that movie. Everybody like chain smokes in that movie from what I remember. They do. Yeah. Marston's pretty decent in that. She's, and the thing is, she's rocking. This is another thing I've noticed about her. Her ability to blend in and out of accents is pretty impressive. Like, she's full, full blown American accent, like sweet, kind of light in it. American accent, you'd never be able to tell that she's got that heavy British accent in her normal life. I'll give her credit there. I think she can make subtle adjustments to her appearance as well that blend her in and out of roles. I agree. Same year, though, 2000, she does Aberdeen alongside Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan plays a, a drunken father that where they go on a road trip. It's a fun movie, and I think she's awesome in this movie. I like this movie. I watch it on YouTube, actually. Stellan Skarsgård is one of my favorite actors, and it also has Charlotte Rampling in it, too, who is plays their, her mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had a Scottish accent in this. She goes to Norway to retrieve her father, who is a drunk who played by Stellan Skarsgård, who's like a drunk self-loathing, basically, basically just degenerate pretty much. But yeah, great performance by her in this. She's like high on Coke a lot and just like kind of falling apart at the seams. But I really enjoyed her performance in this. It was a, it was a tender, it was a touching movie. That scene where she's berating the woman at the airport is right, yeah. that, it's just straight up calling her a cunt and just like, I was like, that could be final words right there. That could be the one. <laughs> but Aberdeen's really cool. Check it out. If you're a Lena fan and you haven't seen it, I think it's definitely worthwhile. It's currently streaming probably illegally on YouTube. But that's the only place that's free right now. And then a couple more movies before Largest Critic Gap. The Parole Officer in 01 and Possession alongside Aaron Eckhart and Gwyneth Paltrow in 02. So Largest Critic Gap is 02's Ripley's Game. And... We have a, a first in Munson's history. Rigby forgot to, <laughs> to watch the movie. So we don't have a formal review of Ripley's game, but we'll try to give you as much as we can based on what we know about it. Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> do you want to do you want to do your review on Dread now or should we wait or what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so what do we know about Ripley's game? John Malkovich. I know that Malkovich, just reading the reviews, Malkovich is the best of the Ripley characters, which Matt Damon in 1997's The Talented Mr. Ripley played most recently before this role. And I wish I, had, I wish I had watched it because Roger Ebert has these, what he calls these great movie lists where he lists his favorite movies ever. And this is on there. <laughs> Granted, there's about a couple hundred other movies on his, on his radar, but 
the fact that this is on there and I wasn't able to watch it, I'm very mad at myself. So sorry, everybody. This is like extremely your shit. Yeah, I love love John Malkovich too. So I mean, based on what I could read, a dying family man in need of money is persuaded to assassinate a European crime boss. And what was the split? It was like 92, some, 97? 92, 67. That's pretty good. Both sides, that's good. That's not a bad score for either. So it looks like Malkovich, Doug Ray Scott, and Lena are the three main top build characters. And Ray Winstone again. I didn't realize there was like a Ripley universe. You know, like there's more than one Ripley. I didn't either. Believe it or not, there is. I think she wrote five or six books about Ripley, yeah. Interesting. It was nominated for three awards. A Saturn nominee for Best DVD Release in 05. Oh, a simpler time. Two nominations from the Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalists in 03. Nominees for the Silver Ribbon for Best Producer and Best Production Design. That's its awards footprint. All right, so we've got a number of years until our next review. There's there's a couple year gap here between 02 and 05 with roles. I mean, there might have been some other things that just weren't as big during that time. But 05, she's in the cave along with our boy Cole Hauser. She plays a biologist in this movie. It's what it is currently streaming on Netflix in the States. What I thought was interesting about this movie is that it was it was released pretty much at the same time as The Descent. Mm-hmm. And I think that killed it in the yes. box office because The Descent's I really like The Descent. It's a spooky, weird cave movie, and it's way better than The Cave. Yeah, Descent is, it, it feels like you're watching like the professional version of the story versus the yeah. amateur version of the story. Accurate. It's kind of like that, The what's the Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale, magician movie? Now I'm having prestige. a... Prestige. Like the prestige and The Illusionist. Like yeah. Both, mm-hmm. both those movies came out literally like within a few months of each other, and like no one had heard of The Illusionist, but everyone <laughs> saw the prestige. It's a great point. I don't think she's bad in this movie. I think she's fine as the biologist, but the story is just not, it's just not great comparatively to Descent. Descent's so good. That's such a good horror movie. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's a top 10 horror movie for me. Ooh, that's a good claim. I think I was legitimately scared watching that movie. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Dude, that, that, that ending haunted me. The Descent is one of the very few horror movies that actually gets me frightened. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking creepy, man. And the cave is not that at all. No, the cave <laughs> tries to be that, but just doesn't hit it right. Uh-uh. How bad did the cave do in the box office case? The cave had a $30 million budget, and it, it world grows $33 million. Oh, that's more than I thought. So it, it is one of her 11 movies that did make money. Not very much, but it did. The Descent made $57 million, so it made about $24 million more. The Descent's better, unless you're really a fan of Lena, avoid it. <laughs> that would be my recommendation. I feel good about that on the, the Munson side. Yeah, I think that's fair. Was she convincing as a biologist? Yeah. I've seen worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I appreciate you guys answered my sarcastic question, honestly. <laughs> I want to hear some worse biologists. <laughs> She's one of the two people that survives, I believe. Boiler. <laughs> that's an important character. If, she, if you survive the horror movie in a cave... yeah. That's a big win. You're an important character to that story. Good job, Lena. Maybe she needed to die. Maybe the movie would have been better if she died. No, it was just corny. It is. It's super fucking corny. Brothers Grimm. She played Angelica in 2005. This this tends to be a role that seems to be associated with her quite a bit when you look at her stuff online. I'm not going to lie. This is a guilty pleasure movie. Yeah, I agree. When I saw that when we were covering this, I was like, yes, <laughs> reason to watch Brothers Grimm. When this came out, people dunked on this movie way more than they should have, mainly because it was one of the first movies where Matt Damon was really into a character. 
like just the way he looked and the way he acted, and I think that was off-putting for people. It's so bad, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do we think about her? She rocks her role because she just nails it. Mm-hmm. But again, it's her playing the villain, right? Yep. Yeah. Is this her first big villain role? Might be. Mm. I think so. No, there's been no villains until this point. Yeah, you're right. This is a career turner then. This is a big role. She went from the good the good person who survives in the cave to going to the baddie in Brothers Grimm in 05. So turning the page on her career. Imagine me and you alongside Piper Parabo in 05. They're like actually best friends. And I think they yeah, and I think they met on this movie. Oh, they're best friends in life, that's right. Yep. So her career really takes a huge step forward in 2006 in 300. She plays Queen Gorgo. Her first role that got her some acting nominations for she got a Teen Choice nom and a Saturn nom. What was the Teen Choice nomination for? That big scene of hers at the end where she's meeting in front of the Senate. She's fucking good in that scene, man. She is really good and that line reading is incredible. You will not enjoy this. This will not be slow. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That guy, uh, this movie was like perfect for my high school, like dumb brain. And I wanted to rewatch it and be like, all right, what am I getting myself into? Am I going to hate another movie I loved in high school? And then I rewatched it and was like, no, you know what? It, it is like so fully committed to being like a comic book of a movie mm-hmm. that I like the absurdity. I still like the absurdity. I thought she was great in it. Uh, when I first saw it, her banging that guy to save her husband was something my dumb puberty brain couldn't like comprehend someone doing. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And then when she kills him at the end, like it was so emotionally relieving. I was like, all right, no, now I get the whole plan. I just didn't see it from the start. My bad. Yeah. I love this movie when it came out and rewatching it. You know, it is corny, but it is entertaining. Yeah. She commands the shit out of the screen and her when she's on there. 100%. She's even stealing the scene, you know, when she's with Gerard Butler. Mm-hmm. Really putting him in his place and, and almost taking the lead in the story. It's She's good. When you think about their two characters, right? Like, he's got to represent this strong, noble male character in their society. And she has to represent the strong female who understands the perils of war. Can't really show emotional weakness, but... There is still compassion, but has to try to like manage politics. There's a lot going on for her character in that role. She kicks ass. No, I was gonna say she can at least be happy she'd never been nominated for a Razzie, unlike our last actor. So. Yeah, I know, dude. I mean, this was a pop culture timepiece mm-hmm. phenomenon. Oh yeah. I mean, there was workouts named after this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't named after this movie. That workout that you're thinking of actually came from this movie because the personal trainer that they hired for 300. Uh, actually released the training regiment he put through all all the actors. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, cause, crazy because they're all carved up. I need to get on that, dude. This movie made me so self conscious. Like, <laughs> even like the guys who are like seventy are shredded. Like every old guy's ripped. Hunchback was shredded. <laughs> the Hunchback's jacked. <laughs> Saint Trinian's is a lot of fun. If you get a chance to check it out, do it. Um, she's not a huge role in it. I mean, she plays a new math teacher. So yeah, it's it it is an important character to the story, but it it's really not about her. It's it's about these young girls and them stealing art and doing and cheating their way through this like trivia competition. It's a fun movie. Big fan, and it's like accepted. I don't think this this movie ran so accepted could walk. I think these 
British movie. I'm, I'm kidding. Not really, but who knows? Maybe the, <laughs> maybe the team who wrote Accepted saw this years ago and were like, oh my God. Ask me about my wiener. <laughs> <laughs> we're shitheads until we die. I can see the comparison there. Yeah. As, a, as an institution. Oh, and Colin Firth is in this. And Colin Firth plays the guy who's trying to take down the school, the whole movie. Because he doesn't believe in what they're trying to do academically. So it's fun. A little personal note on Lena Seidge. She married Peter Lofren in 2007. The marriage lasted five years until 2012. Six years, I guess, technically. So some other personal nuggets there. And then follows up in 08, newly married. Plays Gina in The Broken. A little bit of a, like a cloning thriller alongside Richard Jenkins. Not a bad film. It's kind of a spinoff of maybe like a Invasion of the Body Snatchers, would you say? Yeah, it's got, it's got those vibes. She's really good at it. it. She plays a character who keeps seeing a version of herself, but not sure why. And she's pursuing and unraveling that story. Yeah. And it gets pretty gruesome at the end. And I don't want to spoil anything at the end, but I, I like the ending. I think it's pretty cool what they do with the ending. This movie had one of the strangest castings ever of Richard Jenkins. Yep. Makes no sense, but I enjoyed him in it. Like he didn't take away from the movie, but it just, he was the only American actor in the entire movie. Yep. And he's her dad. Oh, wait. She's got a French accent in the Red Baron, which is I watched and I don't love. Uh, it's a World War One German fighter pilot movie, um, where she plays the love interest to the main character. All right, so biggest TV role comes around in 08 through 09, and that's her role as Sarah Connor in the Sarah Connor Chronicles, a role that got her Saturn, Scream, and SFX noms. So some sci-fi recognition. Yeah, and I think this is important to know because. Aside from Terminator, the first Terminator and Terminator 2, like all other sequels or adaptations of Terminator have kind of sucked except for this one. Yeah. This was pretty successful and it was on TV for three years. Um, but I know like Terminator 3 is terrible and then even the, even the Christian Bale one is really bad. So for some reason, they just haven't been able to recreate this. And so for them to do it in a prequel was pretty cool. Christian Bale one was bad because they re- did the reveal in the trailer, so everyone knew what the hell the big reveal was. <laughs> oh yeah, marketing flubs. Well, Sarah Connor is one of the she's one of the biggest characters in film and TV. I mean, at this point, and, and maybe still. I mean, that's a massive role. And she did an interview with Rotten Tomatoes in in 2020, and they asked her if she would ever be interested in rebooting this. And she said, "Yeah, I would totally do it if it was on like a cable channel, so we could get more dirty with it." Yeah, like maybe make it more grungy. That's right up her alley. That character is, she's a badass. To be in a PG Fox TV primetime show, it's tough to dial that character down and have her still be what she really is. So it would be fun to see her on an HBO or Showtime where they could make it more grungy. She can play a badass bitch really well. We're going to get into a couple of those, obviously. 2010, she crossed over with Tim Roth and Pete Smalls is dead. Very small role in that one as Shanna. But in 2010... The birth of her son, Wiley, happened. So becomes a mom in 2010. So that's pretty cool. You love to see that. You know, she's doing her family thing. There's one episode of White Collar in 2011, right? Not, not much, working much there when you, you just had your child, so you want to do mom things. But in 2011 is when she starts her run as Cersei in Game of Thrones, a role that earned her five Emmy noms and a Golden Globe nom. And... I read that she was recommended by Peter Dinklage for the role, and she worked with Peter Dinklage on Pete Smalls is Dead. He was the main character in that movie, so I'm guessing that's where they first met. That would be my guess. Hmm. You are correct, Kyle. So Peter Dinklage, 
audition. For, they they filled a few roles of that show before they casted the rest because, uh, despite the show having vast amounts of characters that die at random points, they obviously know how the story ends. So they have to cast those few important roles very first. And one of them is Peter Dinklage's character, which is the most featured character on the show. And when he got cast, he's like, I know exactly who should play Cersei. And they're like, sure, new guy we just hired. And he suggested her. And when she auditioned, they were like, yep, you nailed it. She's great. And they immediately hired her. Did I read that Ranker, Ranker, people on Ranker rank this, her as the number one, like, villain of all time on, te- on television. That's a huge deal. Wow, that's awesome. Her character is so evil and it doesn't start off as evil but it ends as evil and she plays it in this like first it's kind of this like cold way and then it's more of like this like mother lion like i just the only redeeming quality she has is that she loves her kids but other than that she's like a cold-hearted bitch and by the end of the show she is just like so evil that you're like actively rooting for her character to die you're like please give me the sweet release of killing this woman i need to see it She's amazing, though. It's not an understatement to say this. This is her most famous role and follows her around for good or for bad. Like, she can't escape this fandom. Well, what's interesting about this role is we've seen the ascension to it in other roles, right? We've seen her, you know, being the badass in 300. We've seen her being a villain in other, you know, we've seen her carrying the story. It's almost like her career has built her to this role and she just nails it. Yeah, it's like a combo of Merlin, 300, the Brothers Grimm, and Sarah Connor Chronicles. Like those combined are like, okay, uh, she's ready for this. Mm-hmm. And an eight year run on this show, too. She also talks about how people would be like legitimately like mad at her because yeah. like, she couldn't go to like the same like, you know, Comic Cons as the rest of the cast because like her and her son were the two characters that everyone would like actively go up to and be like, fuck you. <laughs> be like, mm-hmm. Yo, that's not how I am in real life. <laughs> That's how good she is in a role. It's called acting. Yeah. It's called acting, guys. That's what actors do. They pretend, right? It's my, my profession. I feel like early on, James, like you were talking about, she was good early and she was sort of evil. But then I thought I thought she, she shared more space and more of the story early. And then towards the end, I mean, it was half of the story was about her. She chews up everybody in her way. Yep. Reckless, dude. Game of Thrones. It's a biggie. It's the number one. I'm, I I don't know what list Rigby's pulling for later, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that Cersei is number one on that list. I think that's a spoiler alert for everybody. Dude, just mm, type in like... In fact, if you had a list where sh- this was a number one, I would say bullshit list. <laughs> bullshit. So let's keep it moving because we've got a lot more to talk about. Dread, another one of my favorite roles of her is Mama in 2012. She put her face is all fucked up. She's the baddie of the movie and man, she kicks some ass. Yeah. I know Rigby watched this. Yeah, I think Rigby, you have something you'd like to share? (laughs) In case you missed it earlier in the episode, I thought this was my movie this week. So this is the movie that I watched. I wrote a full review on it. We're not going to get into it. We'll save some time. But I really like Dread, especially because it's not the 95 Stallone version, which is dreadfully awful. Pun intended. (laughs) This movie was a lot of fun. Uh, It's super violent. The special effects in it are crazy. And it actually has like a... It actually has a point to it, unlike the unlike the '95 version. And Lita Headey is great. She is ruthless as Mama, the villain of a slumlord drug gang. She's fantastic in it. She has 
like a huge scar on her face, so it's kind of jarring when you first see it. But you get used to it, and you see sort of how she's lived this rough life and how she got it. Is it like the scar that Scarface has on for eating pussy? Is that <laughs> the same one? No? Not quite, but oh, okay. I'd recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's become like a... It's become a... Well, it was pretty well-reviewed when it came out, but I think even even since then, it's become even more popular. This was uh, my first time watching it. it. was for this podcast, and Ooh. I was pleasantly surprised. It's really fun. You're right. It's uh-huh. They kind of set the scene early in the movie and you realize like it's going to be hyper violent and it's this dystopian future. And you're like, cool. I kind of get where this movie's going. And it doesn't try to be anything like more than that. It's like, yeah, here's where we're going. We're going to tell a story. It's going to be action packed. Enjoy. When she orders three drug dealers to be skinned alive and thrown off the building <laughs> in the first 10 minutes of the movie, I knew it was be fun. <laughs> you know what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Boy, do, do they show it. <laughs> uh-huh. Upon rewatch, one of the things I appreciated this time that I didn't the first time I saw it because I wasn't aware of it, but some of this movie reminded me of The Raid. Yes. And I love that, that this resembled that a little bit, right, Tony? I You can actually almost see the direct inspiration of The Raid because I'm pretty sure The Raid yeah. came out first. Mm. Oh, it had to have, yeah. And I'm sure The Raid was made way before it was released, too. Dude, I've heard nothing but great things about it. Imagine if you had, like, ten Jackie Chans starring in one movie. That's what it's like. It's just I don't think my brain movies. could handle that. That's <laughs> wild. Not comedy Jackie Chan, but, like... Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah, I was about to say Rumble in the Bronx, Jackie Chan. Like, take Rumble yeah. in the Bronx, times oh, it by yeah. ten, and that's Raid. What both of those movies do is they, as a viewer, you feel this this like sense of doom, you know, Mama's basically unleashing hell on. Yeah. You feel like these guys are in trouble. I mean, look how many people she killed with that fucking Gatling gun on that floor. When Adam pinned, she did not give a shit at all. Dude, that scene was awesome. Mm -hmm. That was like relentless, man. One thing about this movie that I like is that the movie sets the stage by telling you like how bad this part of the world is in this time. And then makes it this really intimate story which works here because it doesn't work in The Purge. It's literally the exact opposite feeling. And I think it's because of what Rigby mentioned where it comes to like the message they're trying to get across. Because in The Purge, they hit you with that message and then they show you the movie. And with this, it's like you're watching a badass action movie and then it's like, oh, and all right, these cops are corrupt. And you're like, okay, I see what's happening here. For an ultra-violent action movie, and a remake. This scored high, seventy nine, seventy two. Mm-hmm. Yep, certainly not a critic gap movie. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Another spoiler alert. I'm going to guess whatever list Rigby found. This is going to be a top three as well. I don't. Th- I don't think that one's going to be a secret either. That would be my guess. But we'll get there. You'll have to wait. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Ha! <laughs> for her ridiculous amount of screen time. 2012, she does some voice work in Dishonored, one of the four video games that she's done. And that I know that was, people really liked Dishonored, so I wanted to throw that out there. Never played. And then the movie that James talked about a second ago, The Purge 2013, a movie where she plays the wife of Ethan Hawke's character. And let me tell you, it was my first time watching this, and I f- oh, wow. fucking hate those kids. Those kids suck. Oh, Kyle, interesting. So you've heard me talk about this franchise many times. What are your thoughts? I really hate those kids, especially I was toying like which of the two kids I hated more. And I wanted to say the little boy, because why the fuck would you open the door to let someone in? But then I went with the girl because of the fact her boyfriend goes down, tries to shoot her dad. And instead of 
actually shoots instead of helping your dad you go straight to the boyfriend you just try to kill your dad i was like fuck you i hate you so much at that moment well you obviously don't respect the laws of the purge and I you guess. should not be judging someone who was doing that during that time frame i was lost immediately by the stupidity of these two kids um i think she's fine in the role like i think she does desperation well but i the kids just drove me nuts i love the premise and they've made five of these and they haven't nailed how to put it on screen yet in my opinion for anyone who doesn't know what the purge movies are about it is uh for like 12 hours one time a year and uh americans are allowed to commit any crimes they want Mm -hmm. and they can't be like held accountable for them so what happens is people go out and kill and they get all of it out of their system for that hour and um, for those 12 hours and then they show like america's thriving because of this and like there's so many ways you could take that story and they just can't really put it on screen so with this one like you hear that and then they make it this movie where you're locked inside this house the whole time and you're like oh like we've seen you know home invasion movies before like that's not why we're watching this we're watching this because it's this cool premise yeah the one thing i give this movie a ton of credit for is i think it's a creative premise i agree with you james i'm an ethan hawk fan so I, i like most of the stuff he's in very rarely do we get original concepts in hollywood anymore yeah I've always enjoyed the creativity of this premise. I agree. And I think that's why I think some of the later movies are better. Like, they're not bad. They're just not what I think they could have been, you know? She survives this one. So another movie, another horror flick where she survives. So maybe that's a theme with her characters and sometimes. She said she actually enjoys doing horror movies because they're so, they're like cathartic for her because she's never experienced anything like she experiences in horror movies. So like, pretending to be covered in blood and a guy chasing with her chainsaw. She's like, I know this will never happen. So this is actually kind of relaxing for me. Well, speaking of horror, horror to my eyes and to Case's eyes, the largest audience gap is the Mortal Instruments City of Bones from 2013. And Case has this review and maybe it horrified him as much as it did me. I learned of a new genre. The Mortal Instruments City of Bones is considered a 2013 urban fantasy film. I didn't know that was a genre. So urban fantasy is a really cool genre where it takes the concept of like fantasy things like werewolves, stuff like that, vampires, Mm -hmm. but you put it in more of a modern setting. In an urban setting, the books that do it really well are The Dresden Files, which is like a private eye, except for he's a supernatural private eye. Super cool book series. Uh, The audiobooks on Audible are all voiced by James Marsters. Super awesome. Another one is Laurel K. Hamilton, more of on the female side, but similar kind of concept. Actually, if you've ever seen the TV show True Blood, they're based off a, a, was, an urban fantasy I was going to ask, like, is Twilight okay. and True Blood, would those be count, counted as urban fantasies? Twilight, no, but Twilight's got its own weirdness to it because technically that was written by someone who actually never read a vampire or werewolf book and just went off of things that she understood from pop culture <laughs> what? Which is why Twilight is so fucking weird what about harry potter would that qualify harry potter would no. qualify yeah oh, no shit it's really? urban fantasy okay but it doesn't often make it to the big screen yeah i'm like percy jackson probably falls under that a little bit percy jackson's more ya but okay. a lot of YA stuff does kind of hit that. Anyway, sorry. That's Kyle's genre. He's a big YA yeah, guy. Yeah, that's always been Kyle's thing. <laughs> that was good. That's great, Tony. Yeah. Well, you know, it helps because one of the beefs I always have with a, a lot of poorly made fantasy films 
is that there's no suspense because as they're going through like the trials and tribulations of things, it's like the writers get stuck and then they just go, oh, well, let's just make this happen instead. This stuff that hasn't happened all movie all of a sudden happens. And, and that happened a couple times in this movie. You know, Lena doesn't have a massive screen time. She's got a pretty massive role. She's the mother of the main character because of the lineage. Her daughter is is one of the most powerful whatevers. I don't even know what she is. And she's powerful, though. And, and everybody's after her and after this cup that, that she has access to. I found it to be pretty underwhelming as, as a film. If I'm going to be honest with you guys, I thought it was an okay movie until there's three or four really like grandiose, overly emotional scenes where all of a sudden they just start playing this like Broadway music and the lighting changes and they start hugging and kissing. And I'm like, what happened to this dark, gritty monster movie we were just watching? And it's just very odd. My favorite part of this movie credits is, <laughs> and not my favorite. The part that I the for the part that I found most jarring in the middle of the movie, the main character starts kissing this guy like they're making out. And then we find out that they're brother and sister. Yep. Oh, that's a little Cersei Lannister. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then the last scene of the movie, the guy basically looks at her and he goes, I didn't feel it. I think I don't think that was accurate. I think that was a lie. I'm like, come on. It's not a great movie. She's fine in it. I think there's more interesting things to talk about in her career. Yeah. If there's nothing else, let's just move on. You're telling me you're not falling on the 58% side of the audience, but you're more on the 13 of critics? Where do you fall? I'd be at about a 20. That's pretty bad. So closer to the credit. Okay, five more years until our next review. So we've got her reprising her role in 300 Rise of an Empire, the one we talked about that made a lot of money. Her role changes a little bit in this. She's the narrator for a lot of the film. I, I... realized rewatching it and she becomes a pride i mean she's with gerard butler's character out of the way spoiler if you haven't seen the original <laughs> um she definitely takes a more primary role in this one she's got a great voice she does is this the movie where she yells this is sparta <laughs> <laughs> you know i didn't catch that part not in this one <laughs> but in 2015 she says this is my daughter Teddy. <laughs> Nicely done, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, she had, her, she had her daughter in 2015 with Dan Kadan. So good. Another another little one into the world. More mom things. And then plays Lady Catherine in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies in 2016, which is her number three IMDb credit, which I think is really interesting because she does not have a lot of screen time in this movie at all. No, she's only in this like five minutes. Yeah, it's like five minutes at the end of the movie. She's got the eye patch. I appreciate that she was like the most you know, cartoonish character essentially of the movie, which it's, it took me a while to like get into it because I don't know the last time I heard, like saw pride and prejudice and you know what that, I know I never read it, but like what that story is. And so when you introduce that, it's like zombies, like some of these jokes aren't hitting with me, but by the time it gets to her, it's like full blown, you know, parody and she is as cartoonish as possible (laughs) all right time for me to nerd out again i guess do it bring it all right that's why you're here so pride and prejudice and zombies first off my wife and me watched the pride and prejudice bbc miniseries at least once a year the one with colin firth from the 90s and i've read the book the original pride and prejudice and pride and prejudice and zombies i've actually read both the books and the sequel (laughs) which is sense and sensibility and sea monsters (laughs) <laughs> Shit. which i'm All hoping right. that gets made into a movie fuck yeah i'm in <laughs> but 
as someone who loves zombie movies and loves Pride and Prejudice, this movie's so dumb, it's awesome. <laughs> it is. It's stupid. If you hate period pieces, and, and so you just like watching those people die because of zombies, it's fucking amazing. That's the idea behind it, right? I know, it's great. And even like the way that they like portray the kingdoms and stuff, they took the book, which didn't go as deep into this, because like what's so stupid is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the book, is actually shorter than Pride and Prejudice. Really? <laughs> Yeah, okay. didn't even expound the guy on just, it. Like rewrote it from Cliff's notes. <laughs> <laughs> Lily James plays the main character, and I like Lily. It's, I think she does good work most of the time, and she plays like those period piece characters well. So it just it fits well with what they're trying to do. I was shocked that she was in it because I was like, this is like her bread and butter. Uh-huh. I think. Yeah, Bella Heathcote, Sam Riley. Like, there's they picked actresses and actors that worked well for the story, and then they just went fucking full camp on it. And I, I was down with it. They did not hold back. Before we move on, I forgot to mention one thing in 2013. Yeah. She actually was part of one of our most impressive box office bomberoos ever. Wait. The Curse of the Midas box. That movie had a $15 million budget and only world grossed 128000 Yikes. I've never even heard of it. It lost $14.8 million. It only made 6000 in North America. That is... By far and away, one of our more impressive bombs. If you want to help out its box office snapshot, go to Amazon Prime. If you're in the States, it is streaming there for free. Enjoy yourself. None of us watch this. Is it free or are they paying us to watch it? <laughs> they send a stipend. You're paying to watch it if it's on Prime. No, no. They, they have a thing with it where they send you a, a thing at tax time for watching it. <laughs> tax, <laughs> tax credits. Yeah. That's why this movie is losing so much money. They have to give tax credits. Listen, whatever you got to do to get people to pay attention to your movie. There are only so many podcasts like ours that cover actors that are in movies like that. So. Amen. <laughs> Bumper 2017 plays Alan. Uh, James, I know, has some thoughts on this one. Dude, it was shockingly good. Uh, she's a she's a side <laughs> character in it. I was really impressed by Pablo. Is it Schreiber? Is he related to Liv? Liv? I believe they are. Where I first learned him from Pop- Orange is the New Black, because he plays a fucking sleazeball in that, too. Yeah, he's the prison guard in Orange is the New Black, right? <laughs> it's like asking, that's like my question once upon a time. It's, if it's Orange is the New Black, it's either a prisoner or a prison guard. Those are the two Oh, options. that's a great point. Uh, well, yeah, you know what, Kyle? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, he's great in this. He plays like a military vet turned like small-time drug dealer and... Uh, Lena Headey is a undercover. She's like the person who manages undercover cops. And so you don't see it for like the first half hour spoiler, but one of the main characters is an undercover cop and she's like the cutthroat. Like, I don't give a shit how hard your life is. Like you're, you're doing this job for a reason. Try to figure this out. It's remorseless, bro. Like her character does not give a shit at all. It feels like she's like hazing the new girl into into like you know the undercover kind of vice life and it was a enjoyable movie it's it definitely feels like it's like small budgeted but it takes place in like this tiny little you know kind of rural town and it's intimate and i i was impressed yeah pablo's pretty good and he is he's the paternal half brother of lip there you go right on right on point there yeah i like thumper too he's so intimidating this i think it's worth checking out for folks it's i don't you know it's probably like a six but 
when you're looking at a lot of these other movies that are in the three to four category, it's one of the better ones I watch with her mm-hmm. for sure. Over the next couple of years before we get to our highest critic score, a lot of TV work. So Troll Hunters, Tales of Arcadia from 2017 to 2018, 13 episodes of that. Love that series. Yeah. Is she good in that? It's an animated series, right? So it's like it's Guillermo del Toro's um, passion project because mm. it's his like kind of fantasy world. Okay. But it's super cartoony. It's a lot of fun. It's if you're if you're okay with watching kids cartoons, it's actually not bad. I, I put them on in the background when I have to do other stuff, mm-hmm. and it actually is pretty fun. It's urban fantasy. Oh, there you go. There you go, Kate. Uh, animated urban fantasy. Oh, man, nothing gets you harder. <laughs> Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. She plays Big Mama in nine episodes of that between 2018 and 2020. And then joined Alicia Vikander and Gugu in the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance as Madra. So I never watched Dark Crystal, but it's got great reviews. It does. It is so good. It was pretty solid. What makes it good? The story is very captivating, and without getting to spoilers on that, but the characters are gorgeous and so well done. Okay. It was uh, Jim Henson's son took it on and took all of his original sketches and what his original story concept was, and then took it to a bunch of screenwriters, and they developed it into what it is. So it was what Jim Henson had originally wanted with The Dark Crystal, but wasn't able to do with the budget and the resources he had at the time. And so his son took it to that next level. There you go. What an awesome story. Like, that's this is such a good son. Because mm-hmm. I would be double and triple guessing myself and being like, am I going to fuck up <laughs> dad's work? You know, he's a legend. And then... That's awesome. Wizards was the last show we'll mention here. Um, plays Morgana in uh, 2020. Nine episodes of that as well. So a lot of TV between 2017 and 2020, which isn't surprising when you had your daughter in 2015 because TV tends to be a little bit more reliable in terms of the schedule, right? Versus being on set somewhere halfway across the world. So that makes sense to me for someone who's trying to raise a daughter and a young son. Highest critic score 2019 is Fighting With My Family, and James has this one. I had seen this movie before this podcast, and I enjoyed it then, so spoiler alert, I still enjoy it. (laughs) But what I will say is when I saw the previews for this movie when it was coming out, I expected to hate it. I thought it looked stupid. I Even though it had actors in it that I know I like, the fact that it had the backing of the WWE I was so skeptical of it, but I say that to let you know that it does live up to the hype. And the story here is actually, it's based on a true story. It's based on wrestler Soraya Page Knight, who just went by Page when she was in the WWE. And it's of her family. And so a former wrestler played by Nick Frost, who's always hilarious, and his wife, who's played by the woman of the hour, Lena Headey, they make a living off of performing with their two children as wrestlers. So they kind of do like a traveling circus type uh, type of vibe as a family. The brother and sister end up auditioning for the WWE, and that's kind of where the story takes off. So we've seen like plenty of sports movies like this where you know the, the scrappy kid makes it to the big leagues, and Paige is played by Florence Pugh, by the way, and she is the main actress of the movie, and she's great. But this movie just has a ton of heart and honesty, and it doesn't feel totally manufactured. Like they are, her family is kind of off the beaten path, and you know her dad's a reformed criminal and her mom is a sober drug addict and the way they play it off is like yeah but like we're still a loving family and we still care about one another and we're still going to support one another so like it has the wholesome family values but they're not what you would expect to be a wholesome family so it was 
it's engaging. And even for someone who's not like a, a fan of WWE, it's still a movie that uh, you'll feel like super gushy about and accessible, even if you don't follow that type of life, that, that type of entertainment. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought Lena Headey was great in it. I think this is another role that another type of role I think she should explore, which is kind of like a comedic role in this it she's her and Nick Frost have such good chemistry and such good like one-liners that they bounce off of each other when uh they're introducing themselves to their son's girlfriend's parents who are like very prim and proper like well how'd you meet and she's like I was trying to kill myself with heroin and my husband here just got out of prison and like oh my god what crimes did you commit he's like well, it was mostly like violent crimes but then like some violent burglaries as well <laughs> <laughs> he's like yeah but like we're good now like we're fine like we love each other and they like start making out in front of them i thought it was so funny and it's fascinating because it is a true story so like if you enjoy those kind of heartwarming stories you know maybe it falls to some of the cliches of those but because it's true you give it the benefit of the doubt so it was very enjoyable for me I'm with you james i really like this movie i like this movie too i'm in the same boat i love this movie i actually watched it while i was in the uk which is funny look at you Method. You're <laughs> a method actor, yeah, correct. I'm a method movie watcher. <laughs> You're a method Munson. That's what we call you. I only method watch Munson. movies where they were actually uh, filmed, yeah. <laughs> where they were filmed? Where they were filmed, yes. I was in Norway f- to watch Aberdeen, just so you guys knew that's where I was. <laughs> I got to give a shout out to the director of this movie, Stephen Merchant. He's absolutely hilarious. He's great. He's, he, he's So he's one of the prim and proper parents in this. So that was funny when I learned he directed it as well. This is the first feature movie that he wrote and directed. He did Hello, Ladies, but that was an offshoot of his character from, uh, I think, the HBO show. So this was his first original. Hello, Ladies is absolutely hilarious if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's funny. It's one season on HBO, and then they were in the middle of the second season, and then it got canceled, so they made a movie out of it. But I recommend that. Yeah, Steve Merchant's hilarious, and I, I really like fighting with my family. Too. I think it's a great role for her. I agree. These are the type of movies I hope to see her do more of going forward. I think she's a phenomenal character for that type of story. Love it. Highest Critic sounds like everybody's on the same page on this one, so we'll keep her going. So 2019, she's in The Flood. She's the actual producer on this. If I'm not mistaken, reading some interviews, it's it's about uh, like refugees, and it seemed like a pretty passionate project for her. And again, it's her, from what I'm looking at, it's her first executive producer role. Looks like she's the main star. It's on Hulu currently. She's pretty um, supportive of a lot of nonprofits, and one of them is refugees. Yeah. So aligning some of what her producing credits with absolutely she cares about at this moment in her career. She'd be a little bit pickier about what she does. Love that. Well, speaking of, so she does Infinity Train, does some various characters on that from 2019 to 2021, very recently. And then she has her own production company called Peephole Productions. So sim- similar in the same vein, right, of and she's on a contract with Platform One Media in 2020. So I think we're going to see more on the producing side mm-hmm. from her going forward for sure. But before we kind of round this thing out, let's get to lowest critic score. We saved the best for last year, y'all. And that is 2021's freshly Razzie nominated film for worst remake and worst screenplay, Twist. I've been waiting for this all night, guys. <laughs> Tony as our guest Munson. He drew the short straw on this one for lowest critic score, and he's going to be a champ and tell us what he thinks about this movie. I know that this got rated poorly, and I had a really big hope for it when I first started watching it. I was like, oh, this concept's actually really cool. 
because it's like what they did with Oliver Twist is they were like, well, instead of making it like the classic book and that everyone knows, we're going to make him a modern day, you know, orphan. But instead of being a kid, he's a teenager. And I'm like, okay, I guess. And instead of just ending there, they're like, let's make him a graffiti artist. And it's like, okay. (laughs) And now let's make this a heist movie with parkour. Parkour, parkour. And I'm like, as cool as parkour is, parkour was really big like a decade ago. (laughs) (laughs) And those parkour sequences are long. (laughs) They go for a while. Yeah, it's rough. And Michael Caine is awesome in this. And and it's like, okay, Lena Headey, uh, uh, no, not her best performance. No. Not even by a long shot. Half the time I'm confused as to what she's doing, what her motives are. It's pretty plain. I almost feel it's di- the director is the reason for this one uh, and why it's so bad. I, I think it's a cross between the director and the screenplay because like the dialogue is just not fun. It's like, it tries to be cheeky, but it's not cheeky. She's lucky she didn't get Razzie nomination for this role. I, I, she's the worst performance in this movie. <laughs> yeah, her character is, it's, it's almost like textbook overacting, where she's trying to be really sinister. And we know she can do sinister. The character just doesn't make any, like, it's over the top for the story it's trying to tell. That's what, that's what I took away from it. Yeah. And I, I think it's the director and the screenplay because we know that she can play sinister. Mm-hmm. She does it all the time. And I know Michael Caine can also play that kind of role well as well. And both of them don't hit the mark in this. And knowing that they both could hit the mark and they have done it many, many times, I'm like, nope, I blame the, dire- the director on this one. I'm just disappointed you didn't say Michael Caine. Michael Kane. Michael Kane. Yeah, it's a not-so-great modern take on the classic tale of Oliver Twist. We'll just say that. No. Who who did we do? Was it Rami Malek that we did Doolittle? Yeah, yeah. He that was like the last movie of his of his career, or of his <laughs> filmography, too. It was like, what a stinker to end on. That's right, yeah. Because we were waiting for Bond. Yeah, because Bond got pushed. Well, I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple other roles, but I'm just glad I had free points at Redbox so I didn't have to pay for this stinker. Oh, I definitely didn't pay for this one. I mean, <laughs> what? You own it. That's why. Yeah, I had it. What are you talking about? That's right. He's a big fan. It's signed. <laughs> it's signed by Michael Caine. Okay, well, let's let's wrap this puppy up. Last two roles we'll mention. A movie that came out last year that's actually decent. She plays a pretty key role in Gunpowder Milkshake as Scarlet. Plays Karen Gillan's mom in that movie. A fun, like, badass female Led action flick with Angela Bassett, Carlo Gugino, and Michelle Yeoh. So that, it's on Netflix. It's all right. I just don't get the Karen Gillan fascination. I can't tell if she's like doing a Keanu Reeves impersonation in every role she has, or it's like, is she just always monotone and like emotionless? Like, yes. That role's already been filled by Keanu, all right? Like, don't you can't let him, let him have his thing. And comparatively to, Avengers and Duel, which we watch at Sundance, that makes sense. She keeps getting major roles, and so I, I think I'm just out on, like, I'm missing the Joker, I'm missing the, the vibe everyone else gets, because, like, when I watched this movie, I was like, wow, yeah, it's, you know what, it's pretty, I think it's a little predictable, I think it's, it's cool action that they never really, like, get too much, like, uh, 
you're not just like it, that emotionally invested in it. And I just don't think I like Karen Gillan. <laughs> you discovered that today? <laughs> yeah, dude. It was Matt Smith's primary companion for his run in Doctor Who. She's Scottish, isn't she? Her yeah, accent is, so. yeah, she's yeah, Scottish. Yeah. I would say this about Gunpowder Milkshake. If you, There were two movies that came out last year very similar, this and Kate, and I prefer Kate, which is yes. um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, female action yep. story. The cast in this is crazy, though. It is. It's just, the movie was just okay in my mind. And then finally, Masters of the Universe Revelation, number of characters, over 10 episodes in 2021. And that brings us to top performances. Rigby, we've been sneak previewing this. What do you got for us? All right, so I got a list uh, from January 2022. It includes television and film. It's from MovieWeb, which bills itself as the premier online destination for movie enthusiasts. And what year you said it went until? January 2022, so it's recent. Let's go. Okay. Very, very recent. Fresh twist. Fresh off the <laughs> twist. Twist sadly did not make the list, unfortunately. Damn it. It was eligible, though. I thought the parkour would have surely put it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just guess that the obvious one, two, three are going to be Game of Thrones 1, 302, and Dread 3? That would be my sequence of guesses. So two of those three are right. Oh. Game of Thrones is number one. Oh. And 300 is number two. Number three is something else aside from Dread. Oh. Dread comes in at number six. Interesting. Okay, let's go. The Purge? The Purge is number seven. Brothers Grimm might be number three. Number nine. Oh. Fighting with my family? No, that's not on this list, which I'm disappointed. Interesting. Yeah. Terminator, Sarah Connor. That's going to be number three then. Yeah. Yes, that is number three. Okay, that makes sense. I'll allow that. Yep. Did Jungle Book make it? Number four. Let's go. Kyle's on fire. Fuck yeah. The Wesley Snipes vehicle, the contractor. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he wanted to get that one in. It wasn't in the show notes. He's like, let's go. That popped up so much when I was looking up movies. I was like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> Tony, you got a guess? She does so many TV things that I'm wondering if one of those sneaks in there. And I'm wondering if Dark Crystal with uh, Madra. Uh, it's not on here. Nope. That's a oh, good guess, though. I like that guess. guess. Great guess. Give me Aberdeen. It's got to be on there. Nope. Fuck A. That's stupid. I don't like that. I know. Uh, what about the movie you loved, Rigby? Ripley's Game. That's not on here, which <laughs> the, the, the critic must not have watched it either. <laughs> <laughs> How about State Trinians? Nope. Merlin? With her as Guinevere? Merlin. Nice job. Number five. Guinevere. What are we missing? We're missing eight and ten. Eight and ten. Okay. Do we talk about both of them? Yes. The cave? The cave is number ten. Nice <laughs> job. I mean, she's fine in that. It's just the movie's not great. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice? Nope. Is it 300 Rise of the Empire? Nope. It's Red Baron. Nope. Damn. Imagine me and you? Nope. It's recent. I'll, it's recent. That's my hint. The Flood. Oh. Gunpowder Milkshake? Gunpowder Milkshake. Scarlet. Damn. Yeah, I didn't mind her in that. I mean, it's fine. No, I, I actually think she's one of the better parts of the movie. Yeah. So I think it goes without saying, and like you said, Kyle, this her role as Cersei Lannister will follow her around the rest of her life. And for that's a good thing because she crushed it. And that's her most memorable role in film and TV. And I think it's yeah. it'll it's no wonder that it's number one. Like, she's so amazing in that role. I think the rest of her career, all of her characters should just be named Cersei. <laughs> lean into it. Everybody lean into it. Embrace it. Fuck range. Yeah. I'm just going to do this. I would say that usually with a role like this, kind of like, like Gandolfini, like, you know, no one could really see Gandolfini in any movie 
as anything other than Tony Soprano. Yeah, that's how good. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that that might happen to her, but you know, she's obviously taking on you know humorous, witty roles like in fighting fighting with my family, as opposed to the evil dictator that she is in Game of Thrones. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where her career goes from there. I don't hate that list. I I wish Aberdeen and uh, Fighting with My Family were on there, maybe for a couple of the other on the back end. But I like the top five or six. I think it's pretty accurate. All right, let's get into the Munson meter. So what we do, we rank every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, their awards footprint, any other talents that they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, their box office success or, or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munsons. So this time we will start with Case. One of the things that both helps and hurts her in my evaluation is she does do a lot of movies and a lot of different kind of roles, even if they're maybe not the best roles. But then she always offsets that with great other roles. And so I do feel like she's got pretty good range, but I don't know that we've seen her in good roles exhibiting that range. You know, she's not a very big box office draw. A lot of the movies that we've talked about, I have never heard of before. <laughs> I think she's an enjoyable and talented performer. She's played two of the like most well-known female characters in movie and TV history, in Sarah Connor and Cersei. And so I'm going to give her a 68. James. So she's been in a bunch of shitty movies, and <laughs> I don't hold that fully against her. Yeah. We didn't cover it, but she was one of the many actresses who actually spoke out against Harvey Weinstein. Yep. And she mentions that like the first time he came on to her, she legitimately was so shocked by it. She thought she, he was like joking and like pretty much told him to fuck off. It's like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're like my grandpa's age, like whatever, and like didn't think anything of it. And then the second time he was a lot more forward and she denied him and was very uncomfortable by the entire situation. And she never had another movie with Miramax again. So, you know, it sucks that this dude is like kind of tainted a lot of Hollywood, but I give her credit for coming out and speaking against him because, you know, he's a huge piece of shit. To her credit, Cersei is iconic. I found this cool note. She was only in 25 minutes of the final season. And so someone did the math and divided her salary by every minute. And she was paid $48,000 a minute for on-screen acting. <laughs> it was very impressive and she deserved it. You know, someone wrote it's a, it's a package fit for a queen. And I totally agree. Great voice. She's a great bad guy. I think she's going to be great in comedies. She's huge into nonprofits, which I totally respect. You could actually book her on Cameo right now. And all of the money goes to Choose Love, Haircuts for the Homeless and meals for NHS. So she is just still saying everything with her chest and supporting those who need it. And not a lot of people in Hollywood do that. Uh, so I, I respect her for that, but you know, it's just not there. And I don't think she has the same name recognition with the box office drawer. And I'm excited for her to continue this career, but at the moment I will give her a 60. All right. Tony, our guest Munson. Um, you guys kind of covered some of the points. Uh, you know, she does have some iconic roles uh, as of, more recently, especially with Game of Thrones. I may not be a fan of the series, but from what I've seen of her, she rocks it. I, I'd sit around a 65. Okay. Rigby. Damn. You guys gave her low scores. <laughs> Don't score shame. 
I think there's something being, I know we're a film podcast, but I think there's something being said with, and I'm, and I say this kind of embarrassingly not having watched Game of Thrones, but I think there's something to be said that people consider her the greatest television villain of all time. Like that is huge. Yeah. Think of all like the famous, the famous series out there with famous villains and like to have her number one, I think awesome. I think she does. I actually think she does have range. I think her performance in movies like Aberdeen, she shows a lot of heart and a lot of charm that I didn't know she had before we did this podcast. And yeah, and I think obviously, you know, like I said earlier, she'll always be known as Cersei and, and that'll follow her around forever. I think that's probably a good thing, but it'll be interesting to see, like I said, what kind of where her career takes off from here because, you know, it, it's it's a it's a problem with with like I mentioned earlier, people like Gandolfini and people like that who people just get so enmeshed in someone's mind that it's really hard to get them to to picture them playing someone else. But I think she's very talented, and I'm going to give her a 74. I'll round this out. I have lots of thoughts on her. I love her nonprofit work, James, so I'll kind of echo you there. I love the fact that she's covered in tattoos and still doing the work and not giving a shit. Right? Like a, I love that confidence that comes with it. I talked about I appreciate her work with nonverbals as an actor. That's not something I've noticed a lot of actors do well. I think she does incredibly well. And the one thing I noticed watching a lot of interviews with her, one, she has this self deprecatory humor that I found so charming. Like she just shits on herself and every, she hates interviews, by the way, hates them. (laughs) She's so apprehensive to do them, but when she does it, she just makes fun of herself the whole time. And it's in a really entertaining way. So I got to give her credit there. I love that. She also has zero fear of nudity. We've spent this whole episode. We haven't talked about the fact she's topless in so many of her roles. She does not care. And I give credit to any performer, male or female, who is willing to be nude on screen numerous times like she has she just i I stopped keeping count i was like oh she's naked again nude again (laughs) topless right like and again shout out to her i i love how she moves in and out of accents i think she does that pretty well and she plays a major role in one of my favorite movies as a kid and clearly people think she did well in that and the fact she's one of the most badass villains ever even though i'm not a fan of the show either tony I, i respect the fact that she was able to do that and the one cool thing I did watch with her, she did a segment with Bear Grylls doing some, like, adventure stuff. So, like, you know, doing, doing the fake Uh-oh. survival stuff. Did they have to drink their own piss? No, they were like, <laughs> at the end, she had to jump off a cliff into the water, and she hated it. And they, inter- they showed, like, Bear on the back end talking about his experience with Lena. And he's like, the one thing that really stood out to me about her is she is refreshingly normal. And, <laughs> like, if you go to her Instagram and you, like, follow her life, like, she is not one of those glitz and glam celebrities that just wants a spotlight on her. So, like, it was refreshing to, like, look into her career and life because i didn't know much about her i enjoyed this process because i didn't know shit about lena Headey before this her cameos are like that too it's funny because it's just like her like i just woke up five seconds ago and i'm reciting what you told me to say mm-hmm. like she doesn't care she's like i'll just help <laughs> people out whatever <laughs> scoring her is hard but i'm i'm gonna align with uh case on this i'm also gonna give her a 68 i feel like that's pretty fair considering her impact on the industry even take into account all the doozies and stinkers she's been in over the years. Yeah. And I didn't know the Harvey Weinstein stuff. So that's good to know too. All right. With that, that gives Lena a 67 on the dot, which puts her in 38th place. And that 
fits her right in between Matthew Broderick and Dennis Haysbert. Oh, Haysbert. Forgot about him. At least she's above Haysbert, even with the 95 bump, you know? Yeah. So it's juiced stats. Exactly. You forgot about Hayes. <laughs> the 95. <laughs> oh, I, feel like we, I feel like we bring that up every episode. It's, it's just so, so funny, funny bro. <laughs> Three actors have gotten a 95 on this podcast. Brian Cranston, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> <laughs> right? All by guess. All by guess. Yeah, and I've got the 94 for Emma Thompson. I'm the highest Munson, regular Munson score. None of us have entered the 95 territory, so. Not yet. We all need our own Dennis Haysbert. I'm saving it for Will Smith. <laughs> so she's a little bit higher than her box office total, which was, I believe, at 48. She's 10, po- 10 spots above that, so a little bit higher. So what does she have coming, James? What, what do we expect to see? So she has a uh, TV series that sounds hysterical. It is a five-part miniseries that tells the true story of how Nixon's own political saboteurs and Watergate masterminds, Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy, accidentally toppled his presidency. (laughs) So they're played by Woody Harrelson and Justin Theroux, and she is third billed as Dorothy Hunt, so she's playing Woody Harrelson's wife. Oh, shit. That actually sounds like that'll be great. Yeah. Then she has a movie coming out called Nine Bullets, where she plays a burlesque dancer that uh, has got to go on the run to save a neighbor boy whose life is threatened by her ex-lover. And her ex-lover is played by Sam Worthington. And those are actually done, so those are going to be coming out soon. The next one is Crooks. That's in development. Doesn't have anything that I could read off for you guys about it. And the other one is a TV series called Beacon 23, which only has her signed on to it. So I... not sure if that's confirmed or not. Could be one of those in the cooker for quite a while. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll share anything that comes out with her for sure, as we normally do with the rest of our actors. All right. So five actors we're going to put on the wheel. Our next episode is on March 10th. And our guest is Mark Yerke, who was previously with us for the Chris Tucker and Emily Blunt episodes, Two Goodies. That's right. Um, Yerke is picking one of these five actors. We've got Lauren Weedman, Angela Bassett, Randall Park, Jason Schwartzman, and Benjamin Bratt. What do we like or dislike from that list? I had never heard Lauren Weedman's name out loud. <laughs> I have. Schwartzman. Schwartzman, you get to watch a ton of uh, Wes Anderson. And we get to talk about Rocky's wife. That's his mom. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Talia Shire, whatever her name is. No, that either. Yeah, that's his mom. Wow, I didn't know that. Interesting. Okay. I think Angela Bassett's probably the best out of those on my end anyway dramatically for sure yeah i think randall park's hysterical and jason schwartzman's hilarious as well yeah randall park would be a lot of fun to do i'd be a big fan of him how stella got her groove back baby yeah. it's a great movie never seen it <laughs> it is a good movie never seen it's it. a good movie what is benjamin bratt known for like what has he been in that's his law and order, law and order. Oh, that's right <laughs> his biggest film role is probably like miss congeniality miss congeniality yeah uh, and he was in doctor strange wasn't he he was like the guy. He's probably known most pop culture wise for being married to Julie Roberts. That's who he was married to. I don't even know if the, I don't know if they were married, but they dated for a long time. I know that he was in Traffic. I forgot he plays. I think like the drug kingpin in that movie, and then he played Ernesto De La Cruz in Coco, which is a that's a great movie. So Coco is very good. Tony, who would you pick if you had to, if you had to choose these five? Who would you be your choice? Oh. That's such a hard one. We finally get to talk about Demolition Man, which is so bad that it's good. Oh, baby. 
I remember loving Demolition Man. I wonder if it's really bad. No way, I'm still in. Three of the five on here are comedic actors, and I almost want to do Schwartzman because I want to watch rewatch one of my favorite movies. Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. What's Love Got to Do with It? What's Love Got Boys to in Do the Hood. It? Malcolm X. Oh, Boys in the Hood. Oh, yeah. Waiting to Exhale. These are great movies. Malcolm X is so good. Dude, Angela Bassett's the the move here. Yeah, she's been yeah. in she's been in a lot of stuff. What do you think Bjorky's picking? That's the ultimate question. Uh, Tucker, Tucker and Blunt before. Is there a theme here? Schwartzman. Schwartzman. I think I think he's gonna go Bassett. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Those are so drastically different people. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I don't see a, I don't see a correlation. Well, uh, we'll find out because. He really doesn't pick. We don't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. That's bullshit. We're 56 episodes in. We know that's bullshit. (laughs) Tony, it's been wonderful, my friend. This was a lot of fun digging into Lena's life. This is your time to shine, my friend. Any plugs for your show? Any wise words for the audience? This camera, this camera. All you, brother. Yeah, so if you want to check out my show, uh, it's Flix X-Ray. You can find us on all of the popular podcatchers, whatever you're listening on nowadays. Because it's always rotating. And apparently people aren't happy with Spotify anymore. Who knows? (laughs) I've heard that. Don't want to get into that right now. But, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find us. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up this uh, season. We're We're at the halfway point of our sixth season. So we've been going for quite a while. We've got some fun stuff coming down the pipeline. Don't know how much I want to reveal right now about that, but we've got some interesting pieces, and we're going to be actually revisiting some of our older stuff, that uh, movies we did in our first season, okay. which we haven't talked about for a long while coming up. So that's going to be a lot of fun, as well as uh, we do play D&D on Twitch uh, once a month. I believe our next one is going to be... I have to check my calendars because it's been a long day and all my times are completely screwed up. March 18th will be our next one that we'll be playing on Twitch. So uh, come find us there. Share the link with us. We'll uh, we'll pop it onto our, our socials. Sounds good. For sure. Tony, thanks for being here, man. We appreciate you. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Always a blast. A lot of nerd wisdom for this. And that's what we love. Yes, absolutely. We need it. I love it. Sorry, I'm a nerd. It's what I do. Ace learned about urban fantasy tonight. Man, I love it, man. You've educated this man. That's my new thing. And we can always um, have that bonding moment of watching Twist from separate places (laughs) in different countries. Unfortunately. All right. As we wrap things up, you can always find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Lena Headey? You annoy me right now. Every breath you draw in my presence annoys me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to need. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Put a cork in it, Zane. It's a walk-off.